0: Every minute, every moment counts. Hello, I'm Julie Hyde, and I understand what it takes to make these moments count for leadership, business, and your life. This podcast will deliver insights and game changing leadership moments that will allow you to level up and shine a light for those around you. Let's get into today's episode. We come from different parts of the world, but we were connected by a mutual friend and it started with a coffee date and we've had so many synergies that we could talk for hours. So because we both eat and breathe leadership, which is why I was very keen to have Jane join me on the Making It Count podcast. So meet Dr. Jane Lovas. Jane is an executive and leadership coach, thought leader, author, and speaker. Jane works with women executives and leaders to expand their voice, take their seat at the table, and be a thought leader. She is the author of Put Your Big Girl Panties On and Kick Your Fear in the Ass and co-author of Seen and Sustained Best Practices in Communication that Increase the Visibility of Small and Diverse Businesses. So welcome, Jane.
1: Oh, Julie, it's so exciting to be here. I'm so thrilled to be here with you.
0: Yes, once again, having a great chat, no doubt. So when we last caught up, I told you I... Absolutely love the name of your podcast, which is called Leadership Reimagined, and I've pinched it for the theme of this episode. And I'd love to start there if we can. Absolutely. Uh, so I was thinking, like, why do you think it's important that we reimagine leadership now? It's
1: perfect because I mean, it's not perfect that we've spent two plus years dealing with a pandemic. Mm. And it's really given us an opportunity to sort of start, do a reset. You know, things that we thought we could never do, we've done. You know, companies went from fully in-person to remote, having said, we can't do this. We can't make transitions. I know a company that went from doing trainings and certification that was 100% in-person and they had like a three-year plan to take it digitally. And they did it in 90 days because they had to. And, you know, and I know there's a number of organizations. I've talked with leaders in different organizations that have done similar things. This is a really great time. And then we're dealing with the resignation, you know, the, just the turmoil in what's going on. And it's also, it's time to really look at how companies enroll and empower their employees. because That is critical. And the other thing is I've really taken, I have taken on the mission of causing and elevating 1 million women leaders in technology by 2030. And the reason for that is not that I want to replace men. One, I want organizations to expand so they need all this new leadership. But also when you look at the statistics in organizations at the entry level, it starts out at about 50%. It's pretty, pretty close. It's it's probably like 48, 47%, but it's pretty close to 50%. By the time you get to senior leadership, only 28% of senior leaders are women. And it's even lower percentage of that is women of color. And the reason that I'm so committed to making this difference is that we need all the voices at the table. We need all the ideas and everybody brings ideas and their voice from their background, from their experiences, from their education, from their culture. And we need all of that to start solving these problems we've got.
0: Yeah, you've touched on so many points there. In terms of that diversity piece, which is something I want to tap into a lot more with you. But also just the fact that everything has changed. Our operating models in business were turned upside down through COVID. And like you said, you know, we had to adapt in terms of how we operated from you know the business fundamental point of view because it was hybrid it became <laughs> hybrid very quickly and I know even there was a 10 year plan with tally health here in Australia there was a 10 year plan to get that implemented and I think it, it you know it had to happen so it happened within a couple of months when the pandemic hit so we can turn things around very, very quickly in terms of operating. But I think it seems to be very evident now that it's not quite as quick that we can adapt in terms of mindset shifts.
1: You know, we've talked about some of the other, you know, some of the like practical issues and the challenge now is people are burnt out. They're tired. They're overwhelmed. And that's another area where it's time to reimagine that what do organizations look like and what's the benefit of taking care of your people?
0: Yeah, I do really admire your passion and that vision that you have in terms of empowering 1 million women leaders in tech. So that's fabulous. And I'd love to see that extended across all of our industry. So 50% of women start within the industry and then as it gets to senior leadership, 28% are there. What are you seeing are the key things that are preventing them from basically taking their seat at the table and particularly getting to that board level? Do you think that it is purely the business model that doesn't support their progression? Or do you see that it's women holding themselves back as well because maybe they can't see what's actually possible for them?
1: That's such a good question because it really is a both and. It's the culture doesn't go out of its way to invite women to the table. So there's structural things that have to happen in organizations to ensure that women are invited to the table that you've got, you know, so it's it's looking at what's your whole pipeline. You know, there's a lot of reasons that women go from 48% at entry level to 28%. It's not just one thing that we could deal with. You know, there's opportunities within organizations that women don't have. And there are family challenges that women have. Women are still responsible for so much of the care within the home. And oftentimes there's not the structure for that. I remember being in a all hands meeting a number of years ago, but the CEO comes walking in, there's, you know, like 500 people in the room and he comes walking on stage. And he said, I'm so thrilled to be here. I flew in from the West Coast, this is in the US. So he's, he had been on the West Coast and he's now on the East Coast. And I flew in for this. I got here, I got in at 1 a.m. and I went to my office and I haven't been home. I haven't seen my kids in a week. I slept in my office so I would be here first thing this morning. And when I heard that, I went, no matter what the culture the organization says its culture is. That's the culture that's being lived. And if you don't have somebody at home taking care of those kids, you can't do that. And I don't think that's healthy anyways for anyone to be doing it. But you don't even have the opportunity if you don't have somebody at home to do that. So we have, you know, those structures within organizations that we have. And then as women, there are behaviors that we have learned that have become ingrained since childhood in behaviors that also inhibit women from taking a seat at the table. You know, women have this very often, and this isn't for all women in all circumstances, but generally speaking, women will not apply for a job until they're 110% sure that they fit every qualification. And generally speaking, and again, I get these are generalizations, generally speaking, a man will look at the job description and go, oh yeah, I can spell it. So by not even applying, women keep themselves from the table. And I still hear too many tales Of women not supporting other women.
0: Yeah. Women
1: getting into leadership and not going out of their way to mentor other women.
0: Yeah. I unfortunately hear a lot about that as well. And until we cut out this competitive side and champion each other, particularly in the corporate environment, I find that to be very prevalent. Nothing's going to change there. But going back to your point about, you know, women not applying for a role because they can't tick 110% of the boxes. Do you think that does come down to a confidence thing, that imposter syndrome kicks in? Or is it the simple fact they haven't had many role models leading them forward to believe that they can do it and have the belief in themselves to do it?
1: I think there's always a both and in in these kinds of situations because these are generalizations. But the reason they're generalizations is because they're true enough. Be careful. Be careful. How often are little boys told to be careful? I was very lucky to grow up in an area where we had a lot of freedom and had the ability And yet to try different things and do different things. And yet there was still just in the general culture a be careful.
0: We are all leaders, but you cannot be a leader of others unless you are a leader of self first. Over the past two decades, I've empowered hundreds of leaders to deliver positive impact to the business they are representing, resulting in extraordinary sales growth and high staff retention rates. I'm often asked the question, how can I work with you, Julie? Here's how. I present one hour keynotes to corporations providing practical tools and strategies for leaders and their teams to take control of busy, to be intentional with their actions and achieve the high performance results that they're looking for. I also work one-on-one with a select few ambitious and courageous leaders who understand the key to creating their success starts with them. So if you'd like to connect, you can find me at juliehyde.com.au. So that like trepidation is instilled in women. As you say, it is quite general. But yeah, I do agree with that. But I ultimately think also that confidence, that be careful, that second guessing, Is certainly something that is impacting and I also think that the models, the business models need to be challenged quite significantly Mm -hmm. and we need to start looking at what the job role is and how someone can fulfil that job role within the way that we'd like to see it and understand how a person can fulfil that job role and how you know we can make the job role fit the people because people's ideal working conditions are at different times. So you might work really well at night or have the opportunity to work really well at night. And I might work at my best in the morning. So why does it matter when someone works? It's how they work and the output that they drive that I think makes the biggest difference. I love what you do with women also. And I think that thought leadership piece is so important. And I'd love you to share as to, you know, why do you work with women to be thought leaders and what's the impact that that helps them to make? The
1: definition of leadership that I use is that leadership is the art of empowering a group of individuals to create a vision. When you look at that, that really changes the dynamics of so much of leadership because we still have a lot of leaders that think that leadership is about telling and managing and schedules. And when employees are really motivated and empowered and enrolled in the vision of the organization they're gonna take ownership of it in a whole new way. So the challenge for leaders is to actually begin to let go, to be able to articulate their vision. That vision is not the vision statement that a company puts on their website. It's gotta be a bigger vision than that. And then it has to roll down. That's where thought leadership comes in so importantly because you've really got to be clear about what it is you're trying to create so that you can enroll others. And then people that are enrolled and take ownership of what it is that they're doing are going to accomplish it in ways that you never, as a leader, thought would be possible.
0: And that's ultimately what you want as a leader is for people to take more ownership.
1: I started sharing this example of a CEO that says, I have a vision. We're going to California. And tells their team, we're going to California. And everybody is like, yay, rah, yay, rah. So the leader goes to California and goes to L.A. And nobody shows up. Can't find anybody. So he starts calling and he calls one person. And that person says, oh, yeah, I'm in California. Well, where are you? Oh, I went to San Francisco. Because when you say California, I know you mean San Francisco. You know, he goes, no, I'm in L.A. So then... Calls another person and the other person says, well, I'm up in the mountains skiing because when you said California, I thought that's what you meant. He said, no, I meant LA. All had the same vision of going to California, but the leader did not articulate well what the outcome really was. So They all put their own spin on it. Yes.
0: It's like that high level vision. It's like, yeah, let's go to California. But it's like that roadmap of like ultimately how we get there, unless it's articulated, it's going to be interpreted very different by different people and therefore sets people up with different expectations, you know, and some expectations will be met and some will be very disappointed sort of feeding into that great resignation issue that we have at the moment. Speaking about stories, you wrote your book, put your big girl panties on and kick your fear in the ass, which I think beautifully captures like the evolution of you. So what was it that drove you to write that? If any of the listeners want a PDF copy,
1: they can email me at jlovis at lovis consulting. And Julia, I, I assume you'll share that also. I don't consider myself an artist and I didn't even share these pictures in this book They're just little stick drawings. I remember drawing in grade school and high school, you know, you just sit there and you doodle and I do these little drawings, pen and ink drawings, and I didn't do anything for a while. And then there was a period of time where I just had a bunch of stuff going on in my life. And I started doodling these because it was like a way to get it out. And some of it was fears and then some breakthroughs that I had and some feelings that I was, and I had taken pictures of them on my phone. And I was at a women's retreat, unless you had somebody that you were going with, you just randomly got assigned a roommate. And so, you know, we're we're sitting there that first night, we have a couple of glasses of wine with us, and we're sitting there talking and getting to know one another. And she's a dog trainer from Colorado, and we're down in Florida, and I'm from Washington, DC. And so we're, you know, getting all of this. You know, we're getting connected and drinking a little bit of wine. And so I shared these pictures with her. And she said, Oh my God, those are really cool. You should put them together and create a book. And I said, Oh yeah, right. And what would I call it? And she said, Put your big girl panties on. I said, And kick your fears in the ass. So a friend and I put together, she helped me put together the book and self published it. And then I've got it all ready, and I've got a leadership breakfast that I'm going to, and I was gonna share it for the first time in public. And so I'm on the phone the night before, and I'm like, I can't share this. How can I say, put your big girl panties on and kick your fears in the ass in public? And oh god, you know, and this leadership breakfast. There's usually like 30 or 40 people there, and there's probably five women. And the rest are all men. I, how can I say that? Just They kept saying, you can do it. You can do it. We know you can do it. So I went. And at that breakfast, the only way you introduce yourself, because otherwise it would take for we'd be introducing ourselves all day, would, is you say your name and your company. So it came to mind. And you can do a little variation on that. But, you know, there's no paragraphs. So I said, my name's Jane Lovis." And I'm the author of Put Your Big Girl Panties On and Kick Your Fears in the Ass. And I am surrounded by men. I mean, on both sides of me, across from me, there's probably literally like five women in the room. And they all just, everybody just bursts out laughing. And the guy next to me, whose turn it is to introduce himself, stands up and says, I forgot my big girl panties. Oh,
0: I love that. I can imagine you standing up there and introducing yourself and then holding your breath. It'd be like, God, I said it. (laughs) So
1: what I really started taking from that is we just make things so important that oftentimes are not, you know, and I'm still dealing with this. And it's like some of these things, and this is one of the things that I think is really important to share Because as executive and leadership coaches, we oftentimes look like we've got it all together. We're dealing with our lives the same way everyone is. And you get to a point, you've got something handled, and then there's another mountain. There's another mountaintop that you're looking at. And that's how it is in leadership. There's no, I am the best leader I will ever be. No, you're the best leader you are today. And the leader that's going to take your business or your team to the next level is a new leader, is a new you. So to look at what is there that I need to work on, what behavior, what. Because the other thing is most leaders have all the skills they need. They, all have, they have the, the knowledge. Or they know how to hire the people because really, you you know, if you have all the knowledge, but you have all the knowledge, you need to be that CEO, that senior leader of an organization. And you need other kinds of leadership around you. Leaders with different technical skills, different management skills, different business skills, but the skill, the art of leadership is never done because what got you here today, is not going to get you where you want to go.
0: Yeah, that's such a great message. And, you know, funnily enough for us, it's probably a great message to finish on because (laughs) time goes so fast when we speak. But I do really love that story because it really, A, you led the way. You sort of role model the way and by the sounds of it, you really release that pressure valve for people because it's like, oh, yes. Like, you know, bringing that sense of play and that sense of vulnerability to the table. The message that I'm taking from that is that leaders need to be really adaptable, quite vulnerable to understand that they are a great leader today if they are in fact Or, and even if they're not, they can be different tomorrow. And in the world that we're living in, they really need to be. And it's about, you know, really connecting to that heart space and leading from there. So... I think that's such a great message to finish on, Jane. And thank you. You know, this podcast is called Making It Count. And, you know, I can see from your vision, from your passion and from your absolute commitment to making a difference for women in leadership. It just, you know, fills me with joy that you you are doing that and that how you are making it count, not only in your world, but, you know, the ripple effect of change that you create. So thank you so much for being part of the podcast today.
1: Thank you, Julie. Thanks for inviting me. And as always, a great conversation.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode and I trust that you enjoyed leaning into one of the precious moments shared. I invite you to leave your thoughts as a review in support of this show. You can also share with your network and even rate and review it. I would appreciate that feedback and connection. I'd love to connect on LinkedIn or Instagram via my handle, Julie Hyde Leads. Until next time, live and lead intentionally and make it count.